While there wasn't much news, there was a lot of discussion this week in Independent League Baseball. We'll break it all down here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We're back again. I think it's episode 192. I'm tired. He's Will. We got a third guy. His name's Ryan. He's been here before. He's he's knowledgeable. He knows what he's doing. So that's why he's here. So uh, how's everybody doing? Doing solid. It's a great day. And you know when Ryan, uh, and we know when we bring Ryan on the show, the Atlantic League probably did something wrong. <laughs> that's, you know. All right. Hold on. That's not necessarily a fair representation. First of all, when there is a week that happens, you know that the Atlantic League might have done something wrong. So don't you know Fair necessarily point. make me negative guy, but also yeah, let's talk about the stuff the Atlantic League did wrong because it was pretty glaring this week. And to be fair, you know, normally when the Atlantic League is in the news, it's not positive. In all fairness, I mean, like and I'm like the league's biggest fan. It's just that's the funny part about it. Too. Be frustrating. That's the funny part about it is the people on this show have done the most to promote the Atlantic League, arguably more so than the Atlantic League themselves. That and, is true. And yet, we're the ones that get the most flack from it and its people. Just like I got crap because I said uh, on Instagram that it was a leak that Frederick's going to be the extra team. Oh yeah, by the way, Frederick's going to be the extra team. And... uh so I was like, it wasn't leaked. It was on the website. I'm like, no, it was leaked two hours before it was on the website. But who's really caring about that small detail? Yeah. I mean, there's like so much. I'm just trying to even think. Like, I'm trying to remember how that went. Like, we've been getting, to be fair, I mean, the first thing is Frederick's not a bad move. And yeah, it's a good move, actually. It's one of those things where it's like, I had considered the possibility of Frederick and like, openly been like, nah, it's not going to be a draft league city um, for multiple reasons. I, one of was just, you know, the draft league's already announced their schedule. I didn't see a team leaving the draft league at this point because of the relationships sort of tied together in there uh, between MLB and the Atlantic League and the draft league. But then um, I also didn't necessarily think the league would roll the dice in a two teams and one ballpark set up again. But I guess maybe it's different when they're in two different leagues. But um, if I'm honest, like, the leaks coming out of the league until well today is that's a I don't know if you're sensitive about dating a podcast, but I today is like care. the twelfth. Um yeah. so the it was probably two weeks ago. Up until two weeks ago there was active work on a Road Warriors team being worked on. Like uh I believe they were working with the Black Sox to put something together. Okay. Um and I don't know if it was like solely them, but it was like at least, you know, if you're gonna start a Road Warriors team, you're gonna wanna be tight with the Black Sox. Um, then, uh, from there it seemed to have fallen off. And then I tracked it to, you know, they're talking Pennsylvania and they were leaking. There was something near Hershey, but as someone who lives in PA right now, I was like, that doesn't hold water, but we were tracking maybe there's a the summer league park in Allentown, or there's that old stadium in Quaker town they used to use, uh, where they famously got two people in attendance at one point, uh, back when they originally used the park in around 2000. So I was like, well, that's kind of a funny wrinkle. Sure. Then that rumor changed back into, well, it's not going to be a PA team. Uh, then all of a sudden it was like early morning, I guess, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that. Yeah. You know, they were saying that there was going to be an announcement. And uh, I guess Charleston said there'd be an announcement. 
And then all of a sudden I, I got confirmation from inside the league that, hey, it's going to be Frederick. And uh, since then, you know, playing kick the can. So by the time this episode comes out, we could be, you know, having a team back in Texas or something. Who knows? Yeah, because I was going to say, like, to just quickly kind of go over the whole situation. At least my understanding was we didn't know what they were going to do because once Lexington got bought, it was kind of like, okay, genomes are done. They're not coming back. So we had to figure out a stopgap. You could put a permanent team in, but then you're going to have the same problem that you just solved by adding that permanent team next year when Hagerstown comes in. So that's not really a good call. So it's either going to be a Road Warrior team or another one and done. No team in this league is going to sponsor another one and done because they saw how terrible that went for Lexington. So that was going to be kind of off. So then you assumed Road Warrior team. Then me and you were talking basically at the same conversation you just explained and so then it was like okay so they will do a one and done possibly so then we go ahead and fast forward to about middle of the week beginning middle of the week where charleston's like schedules are coming out tomorrow and then we're like oh great schedules are coming out then it became no they're they're not actually our bad and so i was like okay fine kind of bush league move to make but whatever then the following day is like, okay, schedules are actually coming out tomorrow. And then they didn't come out tomorrow. If I'm not mistaken, I think like uh, Honey said on Twitter, who's like just on top of things when it comes to Gastonia, and honestly, kind of a okay. league in general. He's like a really good follow. Uh, he's got the hold of the Gastonia schedule. He released the Gastonia schedule. I was like, yeah, can confirm whatever he's saying about Frederick. Frederick's on here, plus it's also been put on the website too. And then some people were like, I can't find it on the website. And then apparently it came off the website at some point. It turned to a whole thing there. And so now we still don't have a schedule because after the second time they kind of pulled the rug out on us, then it became do the league bylaws. We can't, which kind of makes me think like, okay, something's up with Frederick. And that's why they can't say it yet or they don't want to release it yet. And now everybody under the sun is like, this is such a mess. And I have players going like, I don't even know if I want to go back to the Atlantic League because of how poorly ran the situation's been. I've had other people that just kind of deal with the Atlantic League just complain to me about it. And yeah, it's just been a giant mess. This is a general uh, 60-second recap of everything. You would love to say that this is the first time something like this has happened but it's just not uh and whether or not like there's sort of like and i'm not sure what these like or what is causing this delay at this point but my whole thing is when you when you promote that you're going to uh release a schedule on this day at this time like it better come out or else don't report don't like uh promote it no one asked you to promote it like that's that's the thing that that boggles my mind. And the other thing is, it's funny when you talk about uh, when we talk about Frederick because you you think back to when when um, Major League Baseball slashed all those minor league teams, and we were looking at uh, I guess potential Atlantic League targets. You would say the Trentons, the Fredericks of the world, uh, and you know, and then they ended up going the draft league route, and then we might end up getting an Atlantic League team back in there after all. For one year, but maybe not one year, and it's it, it's just, it's just very very confusing. And of course, uh, again, nobody's going to want to uh, bring in a a team, an Atlantic League team, to play like two with two Atlantic League teams in, in one stadium after what happened with Lexington last year. So it's just a whole mess. You wonder what's going on, like uh, I guess behind the scenes right now, and like why this is continuing to get pushed back. And to be honest with you, it's, it is just a, 
a total mess, not only because of the promotion aspect of it, but it was literally uh, the, the team listed as Frederick on the website, then gets pulled off the website. It's just, it's just such a mess. And, uh, and you wonder how it's going to get resolved. And, and hopefully it, it can just come out. Frederick is still in the mix and you can try and roll with this for one, for, for one year, uh, until, until Hager's time is ready to come in. But I mean, it just seems like one thing after another. And, uh, I, I've never seen, I, I don't think I've ever seen an independent league baseball. A team slash league say, hey, schedule's coming out today. Our schedule's coming out on this day. Actually, it's going to be like a day later. Like, all right, fine. And then, never mind, it's not coming out at all. I, I don't think I've ever seen that with a schedule release. And I know the American Association had some fun with it uh, on Twitter as well, as, as they should. But just, just a complete and total mess. Well, and there's so much to it. I mean, first of all, it's, you wonder why the Atlantic League doesn't get a lot of press traction. And it's like, well, yeah, when you tease an announcement, nobody's going to invest energy into it if you have a track record of not actually announcing. Then on the other side, you've got, you know, every other league, like the Pioneer League, which, you know, of the major four, you would think is the least put together because it's newest and mm. you know, they've, they're kind of far out on their own and they're slightly lower level of competition. But, like, they're announcing signings and stuff. Like, they're they're ahead of the game. They're selling, if you have a schedule announced, you can sell tickets, you can start making money. You know, it's easier to sell sponsors. Like, yeah. it, it, all of it's all wrapped up, and then you wonder why things seem to go off the rails with the Atlantic League. If I had a guess on this, just from working inside the league for a little bit of time, like, seeing how things tend to go, yeah, I have a gut feeling. And this is, com- I'm going to say, first of all, this could be completely wrong. I have, no, I have no, like, leads on this, but just based on conversations I'm seeing and hearing about, I wouldn't put it out of their own possibility that literally they finished something up with Frederick. And we're like, cool. Sounds like it'll be good. And then they were like, we're going to announce this on this day. And Frederick was like, um, what? And like, they didn't fully clear with them. Because if you look, there is no teased announcement for Frederick. Frederick, Maryland, Frederick, the organization. I mean, you can look anything. Like, there's no like hype. There's no like announcement coming type of thing, which you, I mean, of course you would. You would have like obviously do that if you had to hype up a fan base to try to buy tickets to a second team. Yeah. Um, I, I, Frederick isn't ready to announce this. That has to be the holdup. Yeah, that's my one thinking. There was that that, or they didn't didn't finish everything with Frederick yet. Like they got the contract done in principle, but it wasn't you know formally looked over, wasn't formally approved by either one or both sides. You know, legally speaking, that just wasn't signed or anything to that nature yet. I was thinking it could be something like that too, because it also wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me that. And they just kind of rushed it along, going, "Oh well, it's basically done. We can go ahead and start promoting this and getting the league moving." Because I imagine, yeah, you might yeah, cause yeah. I, I imagine every team is like, "Okay, we're like halfway through November. We'd like to start to be able to start selling things. We'd like to have a schedule. We'd like to, you know, say, all right, we got these dates here. We have a Fourth of July date. We can sell. We got Memorial Day weekend. We can sell. We have." You know, this long homestead, we could start doing all the stuff like you were saying, getting the sponsorships, getting the partnerships, getting all that done. And it's it's one thing when you have an internal schedule and like it should look something like this. If you want to get going on it, we can guarantee you'll have this and this and this. So you can make business commitments. It's another thing entirely when it's like, okay, we're going to release it to the public now. And it's like, no, you, you can't do that until everything's all said and done. Plus, I imagine... Frederick has to do something in order to just get up to speed uh, beyond just uh, the standard 
build a baseball team element of it. I imagine the ballpark itself probably is going to need some touching up if you're going to have, you know, two teams playing on it for half of the summer. That's just not going to really work well if you just run out the same thing you've always had. I mean, we saw how much wear and tear goes onto a baseball field with two teams last year. So I imagine that's part of it, too. And you like you made an interesting point, right, about uh, about the Pioneer League. Like you'd assume like they'd still be finding themselves, but yet you constantly look over there. And while, yeah, they're trying different things and not all of it works, a lot of it works and it's fairly well put together. And honestly, they're way ahead of the schedule they should be on. If you get down to it, they have a solid, you know, social presence, maybe not great, but it's solid enough. They have their, you know, uh, Pioneer League roundup show during the season. That's, you know, somewhat entertaining. I watched a little bit of it and wasn't quite my cup of tea. So I didn't ever really tune in too much for it, but it's still an interesting thing. It definitely is brand promotion there. There's decent baseball. It's easy to access. They're, they pretty much will do whatever you need them to do as far as, you know, promoting their brand goes. They're, they may still need some time to catch up to everybody else, but they're doing a damn good job of catching up. I totally agree with that. I, I think the Pioneer League is, uh, as far as it's a league that has been affiliated for so long and now they're getting into any ball to be honest, I mean, yeah, there, there's little things here and there, like, uh, like certain things like on their website, some information that probably should be able to be accessed. Um, that isn't currently like accessible. However, I think overall they've done, they've done a really good job. And I mean, the, the attendance numbers out there are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, overall, I, I'd have to say, I think, and they, they do a lot of things that are a little bit different than, than others as far as like sponsorships and stuff and, and just the way they kind of operate. But to be honest with you, I, I think the Pioneer League, uh, they, they do a great job and, uh, and at least right now, it's there. There are a lot. Of, they're very ahead of the curve, and it seems like the Atlantic League is usually behind it. And uh, and I don't know, but you bring up the the Frederick and uh, and I think Ryan, I think you're spot on when you say that they. You would think that Frederick was the ones who were not really ready for it because at the end of the day, like the league can announce whatever, but Frederick is the one that is going to be, you know, the additional stress is going to be put on the preparations they have to make. Not, not to say that the preparations will have to be done for you to release the schedule, but at least you have to have the commitment. You have to have the commitment uh, from those involved that you need uh, to, that they're going to make this happen. And, you know, but my best guess, it probably, it probably wasn't. And there, there's a lot of, things that go into it uh and i just i don't think that the, all those boxes have been checked if all of this of all of a sudden that this this announcement just gets pushed off uh indefinitely yeah and, and i think the biggest concern from you know outside looking in or inside looking out if not would be mm-hmm. the pioneer league is as we said could you know they got to lock some things down still but they're absolutely heading in the right direction and doing so quickly the American Association heading in the right direction, heading there quickly. Frontier League heading in the right direction, probably not making the big leaps that you're seeing elsewhere, but you know the competition stepping up, the the footprint is getting sort of expanded mm-hmm. and strengthened. I think it's a better product than it was when it was the Frontier League and the Can Am League. I mean, I was just barely starting to cover back then uh, in you all, but from what I've seen and just from like what I you know can take from the data, like it's a better product and it seems that they're doing well with fans and um it looks like they're in the right direction yeah. the atlantic league despite you know 
I mean, I'm hesitant to even say it, but like being the top indie league, I guess, until defend, I'm always of the theory to be the best, you got to beat the best and you got to do it pretty outright. So, yeah. so give them the title of the premier indie league for the moment, despite the fact that American Association is outwardly mocking it right now. Um, I, I just, I don't see even a single area where they're heading in the right direction, which is so odd. It's, you know, they're not learning the lessons. They had sloppy rollout on multiple things over the past couple of years. And at no point, does it seem they've had a conversation like, all right, here's how we fix this. Um, one, one of the big things I saw too, like, cause it's, it's internal as well. When I worked for, uh, I was running social media for the genomes and for the legends. Uh, and we signed scrappy. We didn't get a heads up that was happening, but like essentially there was like one email, like four in the afternoon, something like that. They're like, Hey, this happened. And then all of a sudden the Atlantic league was running the story out there without like giving the legends a chance to throw together a press release. So it's just like things like that. They're just like, all right, this can't be happening. And then when I push back on the, yo, like we can't be doing that. I, I got the attitude. I was like, all right, man, cool. So it, it's just like a culture. It's just, uh, we're not doing anything wrong. It's everybody else who's wrong. They're being critical, you know, the trolling, whatever. And it's like, nah, man, like our standards have raised and yours have not. And it's because of everyone else around you raising their standards. Um, I, I see it too. This is something that we're not talking about. And I think it should be talked about. I don't want to be. Again, I work so hard not to be negative. You can tell I'm, I'm positive about the other leagues. Yeah. Uh, I am genuinely concerned about the markets that the Atlantic League is looking at. Um, mm. I mean, beyond whatever was rumored in PA, we'll say nothing. But like thinking about going Road Warriors, which is, you know, it's a solution, but it's not, we've seen other leagues, it's not a good competitive solution. Mm. But looking at expansion, I mean, Hagerstown, boy, that's got to turn out. Like that's really got to work. And there's limited evidence to say it will hopefully, you know, they've got good marketing and they got the right people in place. Uh, but if we look at Gastonia, um, there's reports Gastonia that I've confirmed Gastonia is looking to sell yeah. uh, already. So Brandon Bellamy is looking to get out of there. Um, I mean, we just saw the Shays get in on the, on Lexington and in two seasons to get out. Um, we're seeing, uh, you know, other expansion areas that have, proven to not be i mean this is a league that had somerset and had sugarland yeah. and you know, two of the prime pieces you want to be at and you know you're just not seeing that anymore and staten island obviously is struggling you're really hoping to see them turn around and pick it up um this year but you know gastonia got very good this year but they did not really see the attendance boost that they were talking about like that you would want to see mm. and there's even local reporting on it down there so the concern is that i mean especially compared to some of the new markets that these other indie leagues are picking up, you're just not seeing the, the, the crowd support, uh, the fan support, rather the profitability, the things that you want to see to entice other ownership, to entice other cities, to, to entice fans and to entice players and staff. Like, I mean, I don't see an area without exaggeration. I don't see an area that the Atlantic league is succeeding right now. And you have to start asking the question of how long can they do this? without having you know yeah. the right question and i think part of it is long island is so and not to point finger on long island but i'm saying like no all right hold on back up yeah. not long island certain people around long island and the league are so you know they're seeing good results i would guess and the results they want to see um it's always... at least they have been more recently maybe and they basically i uh, would say probably they're, they're not sounding any alarms and it's letting the atlantic just keep coasting in the direction they're coasting so it's almost like a mirage in the way that they they have like a mirage of success where it's like we're fine so everything else is fine or they just don't really care about everything else it's just like hey we're fine yeah and 
it's really it. Yeah. And it's as long as we are presently seeming successful, there's not a lot of analysis on where the future is. And it mm -hmm. seems to be there's no real sense of direction, which is across the board concerning. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing, too. Like, there's, like, I want to be optimistic about Frederick because I do think there is potential where you have a temporary team in Maryland and then you're going to have a new team. You know, I don't know exactly how close Hagerstown is to Frederick. I assume it's no more than like an hour, hour and a half. So it's mm -hmm. still kind of be general range. I think there is a way you can make that work. And I do think Hagerstown is going to work out nicely because now you have a bunch of pairs. We've said that in the past. Now, if the pairs really aren't paying off in any sort of dividend, then it really doesn't matter if you have them or not. But I do think that was a solid enough move. I think it is still better than a Road Warrior team. I mean, we saw yep. the most recent two road teams how great that went i mean empire state came very close to setting the record for most losses consecutively to start a season by a professional ball club when I mean, that kind of dominated everyone's news for about a month and a half so that's not a solution there and i mean even the apollos were just not the answer to that question i mean what 18 wins in 100 games that's not that's just not palatable. Yeah. You can't do that. So you want to avoid the road warriors whenever possible, especially because, I mean, if we're being honest with the, with ourselves here, it's just a bunch of whoever wants to play plays. It's not like they're paid particularly well. And if you play well enough, you get to go to a real team. That's how that's going to operate. They're more or less born to die. So it, I do appreciate their decision to go with a permanent team, but it is just, you see every other league pass. And like you said, Ryan, I mean, like, I'm like, as you're going, I don't see any metric. I'm trying to think of like, okay, well, what, let's see where it could work out. And I just keep thinking like, eh, no, no, not quite there. Like the only thing that perhaps they still have the upper hand on is player quality. And even then, I mean, the American Association is arguably right there with them. So it's not like they have that big of an advantage in that grouping. So I, I have a hard time definitively giving it to them. It's more or less just like a legacy decision. And I almost wonder on one hand, because it seems like you have like the group of the older teams, your Long Island, uh, Lancaster, York, those teams, I guess Southern Maryland to a lesser extent, they seem to all still be all right. Maybe not great, but they seem to be all right. You know, they're, we're not really too concerned about them at least surviving. And then you have the newer clubs and it's like, it's always touch and go with them. I don't know if that's just the groups that were here first are looking out for themselves more and they're already more established. So they're just doing better by that reasoning. Or if it's just those groups wanted to be here. So they're putting forth more of an effort. I can't tell which of that it is, but it does. I do notice that kind of stark divide. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm trying to even think, I do think from a player perspective, the Atlantic League is still the league to go to if you can. Um, I think that's, that's in the weeds on why it's, it's contract based in my opinion. I think yeah. the Atlantic League, you know, there's some drama made of the protected players contracts, but I think it, it has a more lenient contract structure for players in the American Association. Hmm. And I think if you're a professional baseball player, that is probably the move for you. I think yeah. uh, the competition levels 
there where that's where you want to be. But I think the Atlantic League needs to start addressing the fact that, you know, that gap is nowhere near what it used to be. In fact, if it weren't for that contract, you know, wrinkle, which if I'm honest, talking to players, most of them don't even realize the difference because a lot of these guys are signing where they can ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of them aren't even aware of that. And maybe they need to do a better job spraying the word on what exactly the difference is between the Atlantic and American. But I think the Atlantic Association doesn't even see how close they are to losing their, their spot. And that's why they don't do things like, Hey, here's why you want to come here. Here's, you know, we need to execute this perfectly. If we want to do well, we want to present ourselves as being professional in a league that can market their players and get them signed elsewhere. And, you know, you can't bring in a road, road, road team, in my opinion, yeah. is an option a few years ago. It just can't be now because if we look at guys who, you know, tore it up in other leagues over the past couple of years and you're like, okay, yeah, but like how many times does this guy pitch against the Apollos? And you see that he had like five outings against them. I'm like, all right, we'll take them out. So you have three runs and 25 innings against them. And all of a sudden his ERA is a run and a half higher. So yeah. it, like it does, it, it causes pause, you know, not just obviously with random guys who like to uh, blog and, you know, project about any ball, but you know, other teams are aware of this too. The teams that will be looking to sign guys. It's not good for them. It's not good for their stock. So the Atlantic really needs to tread lightly and be, on it and you know really the the path is getting narrower and I, I worry at times they don't realize that because i really want this league to do well it's set up in a great spot if they really hit a hot streak here they could elevate indie ball as a whole higher than we've seen it but they just don't seem up for the task and i'm curious to see you know what the american association does i think if the american association would match the roster rules that the atlantic league has i think we'd be in for overnight of the american association to the premier indie league Oh yeah, yeah. I, I agree with the the roster rule uh, part of it. And again, it's it's. I mean, seriously, has the have we seen anything from the uh, from the American Association like one time? Or sorry, not the American, the Atlantic League. Have have we seen them like like at at any point tout the uh, differences in roster uh, and just like the flexibility of the contracts? To be honest with you, because I think that's a big deal if people knew about it. Um, and you just, you just don't see that. And maybe they're doing it more privately. I don't know, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't think they are. And I think that I, and you also look at, I think a point you made a little bit ago, Ryan, as well. I mean, let's compare the new markets that, that mm-hmm. if you want to compare American associations, the Atlantic League, I mean, if Gastonia is already looking to sell, I mean, that's, that's, that's really concerning as well as Lexington. And meanwhile, and, and meanwhile, you look in the American Association, and I know Kane County was a uh, was a successful um, was a successful affiliated franchise, but Kane County's drawn over five thousand a game in the American Association, and uh, and I know Lexington and comparing, for example, Lexington and Kane County isn't perfect because Kane County was doing a lot better in the uh, in affiliated than affiliated ball attendance wise than uh, than. Than the others were but you know what I, I have to say though that i mean let's compare like lake country for example mm-hmm. uh their their uh eight their average attendance this year 1874 um and that's still uh i think a tick above where gastonia was and uh and it's definitely above where staten island was so i i have to say i think you look at the new markets that are being brought in and why is it being more successful uh, in the American Association, and then instead of the Atlantic League, when the Atlantic League, arguably, I mean, these locations 
uh, in the in the Atlantic League are better. I mean, at the end of the day, Gastonia that's it's a pretty pretty good hotbed of uh, of. I mean, there's plenty of there's plenty of action around there. A suburb of Charlotte. I mean, of course, Staten Island, like right in the right in the New York City area, and I think Staten Island has, has the ability to get it back on track. Uh, but I, I think the, as far as the new markets, it's just you, you struggle to find where where the Atlantic League is doing well. Uh, and of course, Long Island doing what Long Island does, and they've then you know on the field they struggled this year, but uh, in general they've done well, uh, and they're still they're still doing well, and you don't have to worry about them as well as. Uh, you know, York, Lancaster, and, and, and Southern and Southern Maryland, you'd assume have, have been around and they've, and they continue to, to do well also. But I mean, uh, other than that, I think you're looking at, at a lot of teams and a lot of the newer markets that, that the Atlantic League has brought in that are just not, that have not been successful. And maybe that's not all on the Atlantic League and a little bit more on the, um, you know, just how tough it is to just slash the affiliated status of some teams but hey it but for a team like king county it doesn't matter uh mm-hmm. and and i think that's it's important to bring up those kind of those kind of differences as well yeah i will say one thing though i do think it's a bit interesting that the atlantic league when they go to expand they seem to take more of a we want a city approach as opposed to more of a suburb approach which is what you see out of more of the american association because yeah milwaukee for example they're a fairly recent team 2018 so they're a more recent team yes but they're in franklin they're in a suburb of milwaukee chicago dogs are again named chicago but they're in rosemont that's definitively not chicago kane county is obviously not in you know chicago it's a suburb it's geneva so all of these teams, uh, Lake Country, I'm not going to try to pronounce, you know, the actual name of it, but it is again, kind of more suburban. So it seems like they take that approach. Meanwhile, with the Atlantic League, you see Gastonia, definitively a city, Hagerstown, definitively a city, Staten Island in New York, even though it is kind of the suburban borough of New York, it's still a borough of New York. So you take a look at high point too high point as well i mean high point's kind of like the the hybrid i think between the two if i'm not mistaken because that's kind of a college town but it's still very much an up-and-coming city it's it's really growing fast so they take that approach and i think that's something that's kind of interesting when you look at the two approaches on it and i understand like again you kind of got to take what you get you don't really normally have the luxury of being able to just kind of barge in and say hey we're gonna put a team here you kind of got to look around, find your spot, but it is kind of interesting to me to see the strategy when you're laying the map out. And I wonder if targeting that suburban, you know, kind of general demographic, if that's more beneficial than say a city where you have a lot more options, you have a lot of other things to do at night. You could go out, you could go to theaters, movies, concerts, you have all sorts of other things. The main things that you know, professional baseball is going to compete against, they're a lot more readily available in a city and the population of a city may not be as more willing to go to a baseball game as opposed to doing those other things. While in the suburbs, particularly you're going to think you have families, so you're looking for family activities. Baseball is a pretty family-friendly activity and if it's close, all the better, especially if you have younger children. Is something, you know, if it winds up just not working out that night or whatever it may be, it gets late, you're a lot closer to home than having to go into a city, find parking, go to the stadium, then get out, deal with the parking situation after the game, then drive back home still. I just wonder if that kind of approach 
is a bit of a difference between the two. And if that could be part of the reason we see a struggle in attendance and then with it coming sales and other things with it. I think, I mean, it really is like the know thyself type of thing. And I do mm-hmm. think Atlantic League sometimes gets stuck in like we're the big dog mentality. Yeah. And you look, I mean, in Lexington, I'm not kidding. Like the marketing is essentially if you got April dates and March Madness still going on, good chance, good chance you're in trouble. That's even if Kentucky ain't in it because like it's a college basketball town. Yeah. If you're in college football season, your Saturdays are probably a wash. You're going to schedule around college football for UK. Yeah. Um, then you're going to want to battle with horse racing in May. Like no lie. Good luck with some of your weekends. Cause you got Keelan. Um, you've got, uh, what else? You got basically any UK sport, but then you have the fact that like, it's also, you know, not really a baseball town. Like Lexington sounds like a great idea. I remember you and I, I think I was on here. We were talking about like, Hey, like yeah. Lexington's a huge get for uh, the Atlantic league. It's weird that they didn't get picked up by another one, but then you learn more about the market and you're like, not only is this, I mean, this isn't a baseball town, which I believe that doesn't mean anything. You can make it a baseball town, but it takes work and capability. Yeah. Um, but like having an understanding of what it will take to succeed in a certain market, like you look around and, and I mean, Gastonia is in an odd spot. Like, if I'm honest, like it's not the best area. I love you, Gastonia. I love your ballpark, but like, you know, it, it's, you got to park basically somewhere in town. Town's a little, you know, seen, it's a little rough. Yeah. And like the former ballpark that had a ton of success because they pointed to the numbers that the Grizzlies had previously. Yeah. But that was in the suburbs, and it was run by the dude who now runs Savannah Bananas. So very different situation. Um, you look at Southern Maryland. Southern Maryland, uh, I think, was doing really well in attendance pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and then uh, it, you know they're they're in the suburbs. They're kind of I won't say middle of nowhere, but like it, it, compared to some other parts, they're no, they are. They are <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, drive. Like, it is what it is. It's just fine. I mean, um, but. You know, you gotta, there has to be a reason you have to go there. You're not going to go there and do something else. Um, and I think that worked though, because their marketing was pretty keyed in, but I think their marketing talking to fans down there seems to have like stepped backwards, not in like a quality way, but in a quantity way. Mm-hmm. And less people have the awareness of what the blue crabs are up to and their attendance has fallen. But now looking at the teams that are real successful. I mean, Lancaster and York are both in the sweet spot mm-hmm. where they are local in town, but also like, it's very accessible. Like Lancaster, I think is maybe, I gotta be the best market. I think it might be the best market. And sorry, I haven't thought about this in an extended way, but mm. off the top of my head, I, this could be, I could take five seconds after we hang up on this thing. I'll be like, Oh no, it ain't Lancaster. That was stupid. But, mm. um, Lancaster and I even extended Charleston are both in town with a really cool area. Uh, but specifically Lancaster, they got like condos built up around there. Now they're really making it a good you know vibe and it is in town but it's not like a town that you feel unsafe walking through uh if you got kids or whatever else um in charleston is a little bit still you know they're still trying to figure out the logistics the parking situation is weird but um i mean looking at what lancaster gets right i think that's something you know it's not a big town it's in fact quite a small town that is known for the amish and that town their ballpark is thriving i mean i'm looking at right now the ballpark digest attendance numbers from this year yeah. for the big four indie league teams, which I think we're calling them the big four. I think I like that. We're going to go with that, yeah. but King County, number one in average attendance this year. Yeah. Um, again, this is reported attendance, so who knows? So, hmm. but Long Island, number two, number one with total attendance. I, I, I mean, it's going to make some people mad. I'm sorry. There's no way. 
they're saying they might be that high up in the list, but like they're saying they're having an average attendance of 4,500 a game. I was at a game with a reported attendance of 4,000 and I walked around and counted the number of people in that ballpark and it was maybe 1,100. And that's saying suites were full that I couldn't see. Like, so let's take it for what it is. Yeah. But the next Atlantic League team down that list is Lancaster. They're saying they have 3,400 a game. Man, that's close. Yeah. They, they're close. Yeah. I don't think that's the number, but I think it's pretty close. And, um, you know, they're doing it right. And I think the league needs to maybe step back and understand that model a little bit more and stop, you know, thirsting after these big cities. And I'm, you know, Hagerstown to that point, I, I don't know the town as well, but maybe that is a good fit. Maybe, you know, it's in town, but it's, you know, not in an area where people are uncomfortable going to and it's accessible, which is a big issue. So, you know, for all we know, I could be talking about Hagerstown and we could be worried about the Atlantic League and they've already got it on track. But I think it's something to to recognize. I think it's a an, a way that the other leagues have seemed to understand their markets a little bit better and and sort of pick them carefully. Uh, maybe the Frontier League is a little bit hit or miss, but the American Association seems to be very intelligent with their expansion efforts and location choice. And the Pioneer League knows exactly their vibe, man. They're, they're going to be in most of these towns, the only game in town and they're going to lean into it and they're going to get it done. So yeah, uh, I, I see, I see what they're going for and I respect the hustle. Yeah. I mean, the Pioneer League is honestly one of those leagues. I really kind of want to do a road trip of all the teams just because I think it'd be such an awesome experience just in like these small little middle of nowhere towns and cities where it's like oh. there's absolutely nothing here and this just so happens to be the Rocky Mountains in the background while you're watching a baseball game. I got it cooking already. I'm trying to figure out the logistics. I just started up a new gig up here in Pennsylvania, but yeah. I'm already telling them like, hey, man, there might be some flexibility this summer, so we'll see what kind of remote work I can do. Because yeah. I, I forget which one it is. I think it's like Ogden has the, the full mountains in the background and with the way it's built, like you have the sun setting so the sun hits them just right and it's like, Man, that's cool. Yeah, that's like, like the pink mountain views of the sunset. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that's throwback baseball, man. I love yeah. that stuff. I'm not going to geek out about it right now, but there's nothing better than just like small town, like nestled into like whatever. I, I'm even, I even like the uh, the Scranton uh, Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders Stadium. It's kind of like I love that stadium. Locked into the mountains down there. Like, oh, I love that. Amazing, stuff, man. It's so cool. Oh. And honestly, like that's why I was always uh, kind of on board with the uh, the Camden River Sharks, the Campbell Field. Oh I yeah, love that they with the bridge. that bad boy under a bridge. Yeah, that's amazing. That and the facade to that stadium was great too, with all the uh, glass work. Yeah, man, oh, it's man. a loss. It's tough. Yeah, but thank God it's an office building now, so that's important. Office building and yeah. <laughs> needed more of that in the year twenty twenty two. Yeah, exactly. With all that uh, work from home, we need those office buildings. Which I guess it was an apartment building, then technically. Yeah, I, don't know, I haven't been there in a minute. Well, again, because I was out of the state for a year, so I gotta yeah. now I find a ton of reasons to cruise by Camden. No shade of Camden, but I mean, no one really finds reasons to go to Camden. People tend to find reasons to not concert, go to you know? Camden. Yeah, I don't go out of my way for it either. But the waterfront. Well, I'm in Reading. I'm in Reading, which is like a sweet spot because, like, if you're <laughs> A lot of the, the acts that go to Camden either yeah. go to like Reading or like Allentown or something random. So like I can see most. So without, you know, hitting that, whatever we're calling the artist formerly known as the Tweeter Center. More often than whatever that music venue is out in Camden. That's what's great. It's like the pavilion over there on the waterfront. It gets renamed all the time. Meanwhile, like 
Um, if we go to the flip side of the state with the PNC Performing Arts Center, it's just been the same name since like the 60s when they built it. It was like Garden State and then PNC bought the rights in like, I think it was the 90s. And it's just kept it since. So now it's just kind of like shorthand. Like, oh yeah, we'll go down to PNC and we'll see something. Because most of them come through there. Like, you'll get a surprisingly good amount of acts that go to PNC. It's honestly kind of surprised. Like, Pitbull was there this year. Who doesn't like oh, Pitbull? here we go. Oh, God. I found, I found it. Yeah. This thing has gone from... This thing was built in 1995. It has been the Entertainment Center, fully known as the Blockbuster Sony Music Entertainment Center, oh, or the yeah. E-Center. It was the Tweeter Center, the Susquehanna Bank Center, BB&T Pavilion, Waterfront Music Pavilion, and then now is the Freedom Mortgage Pavilion. So, you know, there's that. Just rotating through names. I feel like what happens is there's always one inciting incident near the performing center. And uh, I mean, and they're run, you know, and they're run by Live Nation. So good. Yeah. Good. I hope you struggle, man. All my friends see Live Nation. See you take a master and monopolize them. Sorry. Sidetrack. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't blame you. I just put in for like, I got two pre-sales in right now because we're going off the rails for a minute, so we might as well just steer right into the turn. Yeah. We'll yeah. bring it back, everybody. I promise. Yeah, it always comes back in the end. But I put in for a Paramore pre-sale and the Taylor Swift pre-sale. I did not get the Paramore one. So then I went ahead and was like, okay, well, what's the price of the garden for these things? And I was like expecting it to get pretty bad because I checked because Paramore is at the Beacon actually tomorrow. And I was like, how much do they charge them to be at the Beacon? And I saw like $500 over my dead body. I'm paying $500 for a ticket for anything. And so then I went and I checked the garden price. And I was like, oh, it's only like $180, piece. And even then, I was like, ah, for Paramore, that's a lot. But, yeah, so I'm really banking on getting that Taylor Swift at uh, MetLife. I got three shows I really am looking at. I really hope I get it so that way I can get gouged for that. But, uh, yeah, which I got to say, I, I have to address. Uh, you got some slanderous uh, Jack Antonoff takes there. Yeah, dude. He's just not... We're doing this. It's not a great production style, man. I, it just it doesn't. It certainly doesn't fit Taylor. Like the the acoustic stuff works, but like this vibe, man. Like I don't know. The bleachers slander like, right now. Well, here's the thing. It works. Jack and uh, what he does for bleachers and all that works because it's like an alt community. Like you can like throw like a good like this is not even. There's no good way to say it, but like almost like a grading, like almost like like there's ways to like work a sound that isn't necessarily like ooh that's like very like my ears want to hear that but make that into a sound that's like great i mean it's like i love punk music i love like heavy metal so like yeah. i i'm like you can have a lot of sound that you're like oh i don't like any of this but then you put together and it's great but i don't think that mentality fits on taylor swift's current era of music that's my point see and it I'm takes away from the fan. fact that she's a great songwriter yeah so i i am an alt fan so that's why i'm i'm a fan of his thing because i'm like oh i, I see his name produced on a lot of the stuff i listen to. i'm like oh that's not bad so that's why i'm defensive about this but so then i i have well, to yeah go ahead well i guess because we should probably bring this back to baseball but yeah. i guess to summarize for those listening uh between paramore and taylor swift nick is a very angsty boy yes i am like, just so many feelings there is a honestly that's why i don't post this well that also it's not really relative to anything but you just don't even look at my spotify because it's very it's very weird 
it, you could jump from like Sammy Davis to Taylor Swift to like Blink One Eighty Two very quickly. Oh yeah, shuffle is um, no. That's not even mind. shuffle. That that's just like the order it's in right now. That's amazing. I respect that. Yeah, like then before we get back on track, top three albums go. Taylor Swift albums that is. Oh god, um, I, I hate when you put the pressure on me. Uh, well, Red certainly is yeah, going to be up there. Obviously. Um, oh, um, let me think. Let me think. I'm sorting through a couple in my brain right now. I'm struggling. I'm thinking. Hmm. Oh god, I can't believe you put this pressure on me like this. Okay, all right, I can do this. I'm gonna go with because I just I've been weighing how much I like Midnight. It's not a top three album to me. It's just not there. Yeah. Um, but I am thinking it's probably folklore is in there. Definitely not Lover. Yeah, no, I agree mm. on Lover. It's fine. It's just not like there's only like a handful on there that's like yeah, I go back and listen to this again. So Red's far and away number one for me. I mean, that's just the yeah. way it is. Um, I think it's probably going to be folklore. Okay. And then 1989. Okay. We have a very similar one. So like, yeah, I mean, I'm sweating right now. Good God. That was difficult. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's a lot of, like I was going through this last night. I was like, I'm going to put him on the spot like this. So I was going through, I was like, man, I got to have a response. So I was like, but, and, yeah. And here's the thing too. Like, what if she listens to this podcast and she doesn't agree? So that's. I mean, we we do know we have like Todd Van Stansteel who met her and I assume listens to the show because it would just make sense, right? I mean, like, why wouldn't he? And he's just like legend. So, like, it could I be. I think away from her hometown, bro, or from her like childhood home, bro. So I don't know. See, like, if I get these tickets at MetLife, I'm just gonna get like a giant banner. And I'm just gonna drop it down. And see, like, if I can't get some free promotion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Stand yeah. on the ground. Check whatever Twitter replacement there is by that point to see if it actually works out, because I'm sure it'd be on Twitter. So, I mean, like, it'd be worth it. But... Uh, you think everybody stopped listening by now? No, no, no. They're used to it, to this at this point, you know? Uh, I respect them. Yeah. So, I guess, quickly, I'd go 1989. I mean, that one's got to be on there. Hmm? Yeah. See, the problem is, like, I have one really controversial one. And I know I'm going to get flagged for it the second I say it, so I'm saving that for the end. So that means I really only have one spot left, and it's I'm torn yeah, between I'm torn between Red and uh, Red and Evermore because those two are yeah. like neck and neck for me. I like Evermore slightly more than Folklore. That's why. Although in yeah, all honest, in all honesty, though, like sometimes I get confused as to which tracks on which album because they came out so quickly. Exactly, and they, they have the similar vibe. Exactly, yeah, but it's a great vibe, though. So, yeah, I prob- I probably go Evermore, and I'm going debut album too. That's the controversial one. I know people don't like it, but the reason why I'm a fan of it is I'm not gonna lie. I only have like a CD player. I don't have an aux port in my car, and I got <laughs> I got the debut one cheap at Walmart, like five bucks, and I just was listening to it on repeat for a while. So I was like, this is a good album. This is really good. So I'm, go- I'm going debut. That's the third. It, it, it sneaks up. And then, like, yeah. I mean, it this doesn't necessarily like, affect the way I'd rank it. But the fact yeah. that she wrote it when she was, like, a child is incredible. Exactly. You're like, these, oh, man, what an artist. I don't what a re- hero. 
this this is why like I was supporting Todd when he was going like you definitely shouldn't see the live shows at all because we need to keep the pre-sale registration numbers down. We really mm-hmm. do. That or I need to apply for a Capital One card so that way I get access to this pre-sale. It's one or the other, and I really don't want to have to apply for a Capital One card. No, it's not what you want to get into. Yeah. So I'm going to ask, Will, are you still listening? Because I know you're just such a big Taylor I, Swift I'm fan. here. I'm just, no, listen, I don't, I don't dislike Taylor Swift. I just, I cannot claim to be as big of a fan as, as you guys. See, I'm more, I'm more of kind of like a hip hop guy. So unfortunately, I, I can't really participate in Taylor Swift, in Taylor Swift discussions. I mean, she does have a couple bangers, but to be honest with you, I, uh, I don't know. I'm not. I, I just can't put myself on the on the same level as you guys in your love for Taylor Swift. So then, I guess you don't have an answer to to your top three. Oh, Taylor Swift albums? No idea. I couldn't name you one. <sighs> well, I mean, outside of the ones that you guys said, he, like he's trying maybe, to get thrown off the show. I think maybe, you're trying to get thrown off. Maybe I know what Red is, but I, I've heard of Red before. I I couldn't name you because, to be honest with you, I don't. And this is in general, even with. I am not a huge, like, I love this specific album and that specific album. I'm just a guy, like, I just kind of, like, I like the songs that I like, and I don't really, like, pay attention to, like, what albums are which. And, like, I don't know, like, I, like, if you, like, I honestly could not name, like, I, I mean, because, like, I love Drake. I probably could name you, like, two Drake albums, like, the names of it, just because I know the songs. I don't know yeah. the albums. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little weird, but... That's uh, that's that's kind of where I sit. I only have two points to that. One, at least we know you won't be spending any money on concerts either. We've gone over this in the past. That's true. Not and, a concert fan. And two, at least you didn't say reputation. That one I just don't like. That's, I don't even know what that is. Ryan knows what that is. Yeah, it's okay. I hmm. see. In the prom, that's the that was the tour that I saw in person, and the best part of that tour was when she sang fearless and it was raining and that that was the highlight of that of that tour that also if i was like holy crap is this a great in-person experience like going from like pillar to pillar on a cable like what the hell is this see mine the the cable didn't work got stuck so there's like an awkward like time where she had to like basically she had to walk over to the other one and then go across the steam in that one while there was like there's no song going at that point yeah so she just like i think forget what she sang but she's like acapella um like a few of the throwbacks and the whole okay. stadium got in it was amazing so right. anyway yeah anyway. she's the greatest of, oh, of course but i mean like if we have here, to- so yeah. i mean bringing it back to the point of like you need to know yourself and uh be clear with your communication the way that taylor is in her writing um i think when it comes to the Atlantic league one of the issues is the fact that there is even a lack of clarity within the league because we touched on it for a second. And for those who are, who don't know, which is a lot, because why would you, yeah. um, the difference, the key difference between the American association contract and the Atlantic league contract, at least in my opinion, is the protected player clauses where the American association, I believe protects you for longer. I I'm not as sure on the details. I'm still figuring out since I've switched from AOP Brown up to Indie ball nation in my rebrand, I'm still yeah. learning the roster rules of all the leagues. Um, but apparently, but essentially the Atlantic League, you're a protected player until about a week or two into the season. So you belong to the team that you played for under contract last in the Atlantic League. The American Association has a longer um, sort of claim on you. Now, here's the issue, though. This would be a lot easier to communicate to players 
if there's any clarity at all, because I have been in a front office in baseball operations. I have spoken baseball operations people at different teams, like four different teams about this specific thing, as well as managers and three different ones about this. And all of them have given me a different explanation of the protected player clause. And that includes also a GM. And it, it varies from, yeah, like if you're with us, like you asked that, if you're under contract with us and you decide you want to go elsewhere, you are going to have to uh, sit out two weeks. You, you can't sign until two weeks into the uh, Atlantic League season. Uh, others have been like, oh, yeah, like you can actually just go to any team outside of the Atlantic League. It only protects you against Atlantic League clubs. And that seems to be what's most accurate. But okay. I don't even know if they're telling people that. And it almost feels on purpose that they don't tell players they have as much flexibility there. But like, yeah, like it just means you can't sign with another Atlantic League team until like two weeks into the next season. Then, um, but if you want to go to the, to the American Association, you're free. Uh, then there's, as far as like, yeah, you can do that, but also then you'll be like on a suspended list from the league, which I'm not sure if that's correct or not either. Like, because only a couple people thought that and they weren't too convincing. But the point is, I could have, I, I guess it was eight different conversations if you include then my own experience into one of those things on the list. Yeah. And every single person has a different understanding of how that works, and all of them handle player contracts. And that is concerning. Um, I, I think that's something that, you know, the league needs to take the time to get the details right and make sure everyone knows what's going on, especially when that those details are becoming what could really help them shine while they're in a low moment against the American Association who is in a high moment. It almost feels like to me, like what they should have done is during 2020, after, you know, you lost the season to it, almost just take the rule book, take your structure and just kind of go through it again, because that was the time to go through everything, weed out the parts that weren't great, clarify anything that needed to be clarified. That was the time because it wasn't like you're focusing on baseball anyway. Right. So like, why, why not do that then? Why now have yeah. to have this issue? And I got a good microcosm of the, the mess. And yeah. it, and this is, I guess, technically some breaking news, as long as it doesn't change, which is the Atlantic League, so who knows? Uh, but yeah, let me bury this like 40 minutes into our conversation. Um, the, well, yeah. uh, so to go back to last year, the big move that um, PJ and the Legends made was not protecting any of the legends players. Yeah. Um, PJ was on board with it. Um, it came from the baseball ops department too. Now I think part of the motivation from certain people, the legends was because it makes it easier to bring former legends to the genomes roster, which they did in abundance. Yeah. Um, but also PJ was on board with the PJ who's now the new Jackals manager because yeah. by not protecting players, he sees it as a selling point to new players. Like, Hey, Come over here where I'm going to protect you so you can go wherever you want after the season. You're good. And um, and that seemed to have some good returns. I don't think it was, you know, as public as, you know, it might have been. Um, but I also know that there might have been some resentment from other teams that did not like that. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, they're setting a bad precedent. It's very much like the thing of not paying your minor leaguers more in Major League Baseball because the other teams like, great, now we have to do it. Yeah. Um, so... That went down. Then, come around to this year, the genomes are gone. Common sense says, okay, you're all free agents because you don't have a team anymore. Yeah. Um, and the legends you know, don't have a manager anymore, and they did not protect their players last year. 
what I'm hearing, <laughs> so as of a week ago, shoot, you know what? Let me see if I can actually find the exact message because I don't want to misquote. Okay, this is the quote. The league is automatically protecting Lexington and Genome's roster. I don't know how that works. Like there is, that is such weird inconsistency if they decide that they want to proceed that way. They have all these players who signed with the understanding that they will not be protected and they'll be free to go where they want. Um, you have players who obviously, for obvious reasons, have, you know, assumed that they would be free because they, their team does not exist anymore yeah. or because there's been ownership and management and coaching turnover. There's literally two, three employees in Lexington last I heard. Um, and then the league is making the call to protect those players. That's gross. And that's something where that's where the league gets a bad reputation. Despite having more favorable contract terms, that's where they are not seen as a pro player league, which it should be. If you want to be a competitive indie ball uh, league on a talent basis, you've got to be pro player and do what you can to pack the players and trust that having the best players, having the best product will allow you to market that product and sell tickets and make the money you got to make. But it, it just, it doesn't seem to be the mentality. Yeah, that's, that's, is that, I mean, is that true? It's, the league, I don't know why the league would be stepping in to protect all of those players, especially for, you know, the genomes were literally, it just, that just doesn't really make much sense, especially with no coaching staff, uh, at the moment in Lexington either. I mean, it's hard to market yourself as pro player, even with those, even with those contracts, if you're going to protect, uh, if you're going to protect those players and they can't go, and they can't go elsewhere. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that is a big problem, especially when it deviates from the precedent that Lexington set. Um, when the, the, when it changes from that precedent, they set that, hey, you can go wherever you want. And that makes sense. That, that makes sense. And I mean, regardless of whether the other teams around the league like it or not, uh, that makes sense as a selling point. Uh, just because, uh, to get players to try and come with you and you don't, and you, they don't have to worry about making some sort of multi-year commitment. And so that, I think that I don't disagree with that strategy, but then when the, I don't know that that's just not the league's place at all to be stepping in and, and doing stuff like that. Yeah. And so I got this from also somebody who works in baseball ops for another non Lexington based team. And, um, so that seems, you know, fairly as reliable as you're going to get because he would know because, you know, he needs to know if those guys are available. Um, yeah. And really it comes down to an ongoing thing, which is a trust issue with the league in almost every facet. And I know this is all of a sudden turning to like, again, a lengthy negativity segment, but if we're talking about it, like this is a big, if we're, this is Indie Ball report and we're reporting on the biggest Indie Ball league, the premier Indie Ball league for the last couple decades, all of a sudden just having, you know, the bottom fall out here and it's it really i mean it's these business practices it's these things that create distrust it's things like when i see a like vagueness vagary i guess is the word yeah. to anything like the protected players rule it is as somebody who has worked in and around the league now for like three years like in different facets well automatically in my brain i'm like oh that is purposefully vague at this point to like yeah. allow for whatever shenanigans um, and my assumption being, it probably is the most lenient interpretation of the protected players rule that I've been given, but it's not being openly pushed out to players because they don't see it as a selling point. They see it as, you know, a vulnerability if all the players know they can just peace out to another league whenever they want. 
that's not hard to again it, that could not be the actual rule but again i there's still after all my time running the league there's still not been a clear understanding of 100 what this is because people i've really thought of as being like oh this is the authority on this have told me one thing and then people who equally i'm like oh this is definitely an authority on this have told me something different so that's where we're at yeah, that's not, that's why I don't really get, like, even if you're not going to tell players and tell staff about it as much as that's not great, like, internally, you have to have a clarity on it, and further from that, at least distribute that to the baseball op people, so that way they know how to do their job correctly, so it just, it's interesting there on that front, however, the league protecting players, because I didn't really get a piece on that, like, I could kind of see the Lexington in a way, if I'm really taking their side on it, I kind of get it. You have new ownership in there. Technically, they're an existing team and they're going to continue to exist, presumably. So I get that. Like, I understand, like, you know, maybe you go ahead, you just do the protection while new ownership gets up to speed and then they can make that decision from there. If they want to continue with that or if they choose not to, you know, basically go, well, we're not going to enforce it if you opt to not do that. Or if you're saying, okay, yeah, we're going to continue to enforce it, then, you know, business as usual. With the genomes, as far as that's concerned, I mean, that's no different than a team folding. So if that's the case, then unless you're saying, oh, well, technically, they, even then, I mean, it was a, a Lexington operation. So unless it's a league grand team, then I don't really get where you're getting off, you know, protecting them from. Because unless you're going to say, we're going to take the genomes players and just transfer them over to Frederick, and then it'll be kind of like a one-for-one, like the genomes are being replaced by the Frederick whomevers. Then I could see that. I think it's still, it's a little scummy. It's a little not right. I think it's certainly bad business, even if you can do it. And I think in a league and in a business like the Atlantic League's in, well, yeah, it probably won't hurt you too much. It's the kind of thing that if you keep doing it, it is going to hurt your standing because I mean, realistically at the end of the day, players are probably the easiest part to get a hold of. If you don't care about quality, you mean you could just kind of find them. There's plenty of people that want to play professional baseball. That's not hard to do. That's not hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's, but to maintain your reputation among the players that you want to have among the kind of quality that Atlantic league fans and teams and markets are used to, you know, if you're mostly like double, triple A, the occasional former major leaguer, guys that spend a lot of time internationally, if you want to keep getting those guys, you keep doing stuff like this, it's just not going to work. And further to that, you're not going to attract, you know, quality ownership groups either. You're going to attract people that are like, oh, good, I can own a baseball team on the cheap. I don't really got to worry about the consequences. I just got to put forth X amount of money each year and I can call myself a baseball team owner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair assessment of it. And, and uh, you know, I should have read through it again before I have random player contracts around, but um, I should have read through one, but I, I don't recall. I mean, I, I pieced through those things as if having an awkward conversation. I mean, when I got to Lexington, the player contracts being given out were like, they needed some TLC, bro. But um, the, so I've read through it. There was nothing in there about, you know, if the team is not here, like the league continues to hold your rights. Like that isn't in the contract anywhere. I, don't, I mean, I'm I'm 90% sure at least at this point. So it's just, you know, it's, again, man, it's, even if it was, is that the right way to do it? Yeah. 
you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think we have some indie leagues right now who are doing a lot of the things they should do, mm-hmm. even if it's not all they can do, you know, to get what they see as, you know, every, you know, ounce out of the guys on the field and every ounce out of every penny. And I think we're starting to see some returns. And I think, you know, uh, I've, I've said, I sound the alarm a little bit on Twitter. This is for every indie league, essentially just talking out loud on, yeah. on social media, which will, it's Twitter. So, you know, that won't exist by the time this thing airs, but, um, but, you know, the economy is not great, you know, very likely heading to some sort of recession situation. And you have to be looking as a team and the league at like your relationship with your fans and your players, because when it comes down to it, you know, you have to be the thing for your fans that they're like, nah, this team treats me well. I get value out of it. My money is well spent there and I want to go and support this thing, even when my dollar is harder earned and worth less than it used to be and I get less for it, like it's worth more to me and I want to spend it there. And it's like, how can you maximize that value? How can you give people every bit of what you can possibly get from it? And then, you know, even to the players where, you know, your budget might be hurting as a baseball team. You might not have as much money to go with, but how do you generate goodwill and like the confidence of these players that like, this is a good place to be. Even if I have to take a couple hundred dollar pay cut every month to be in that spot, this is where I want to be. Um, and, you know, to say I want to keep that dream alive and keep playing ball instead of, you know, taking, like, some office job, which, you know, becoming, you know, slinging real estate, which a lot of guys end up doing instead yeah. when they decide, you know, it's just not worth the grind anymore. Mm. Um, you know, that's, I guess it goes back to the original point of something that certain leagues are doing right now that the Atlantic League seems to be dropping the ball on, which is, you know, look at your situation, not just in this moment, not just where you have been, but, like, where you're going. Like, you know, <laughs> recession-proof is always so tacky, but, like, you know, like, I guess build yourself up that goodwill that you're going to need someday when something comes along that is not ideal, whether it's economic or, you know, an interleague issue or whatever the case may be. And I feel like they're constantly punting on opportunities to like really use the position they're in currently to shore up their position in the future. Yeah. it It's interesting that, and then you would think too, especially after the whole partnership deal, You'd see a lot more interleague cooperation. You know, like, that wasn't that supposed to be, like, a, one of the highlights of this was, okay, you'll get major league resources and branding and that whole mm-hmm. jazz, whatever the hell that's actually worth. But then it'd be easier to work with all of the other leagues, that you'd be, have a central communication channel. You'd all have some sort of central pool of resources. And you'd think you'd see a lot more of that. Right. And I understand that a lot of it still comes down to economics. Like it just doesn't make sense if you're the American Association to do anything with the Atlantic Lake because your nearest teams are what? Lexington and uh, Gary, Indiana. Like that's going to be your closest teams there. So it doesn't really work out much there. But and I know also like they don't want to associate with like the Frontier League, which obviously has a younger player. So they're not going to be as developed and not going to be as talented when you can only have three or four veterans on your roster at any given time, as opposed to like an Atlantic League or an American Association, which is much more developed. They have different structure level. So uh, like I get that. I get that. But you would still think you would try to work together in it. Because at the end of the day, you're all working for the same thing. You all have different markets, but your products are all roughly similar. 
And I think in the case of the Atlantic League, what works against them too is part of the appeal of an independent league and of minor league baseball is that things are pretty similar. That you could take someone that's 85 and someone that is 5 and they'd all know it's the same game, you know. And when you have like the Atlantic League with the rules and whatnot there, it's off-putting the players certainly because they see as though you're experimenting on them with their careers and why would you want to burn like the one, two, three seasons at most you have to really have a shot at getting to an organization and then possibly making it to the major leagues. Why would you want to burn that in some guinea pig league as opposed to going somewhere else where, yeah, the contract may not be as great, but it's pretty much regular baseball that you know of. And from a fan perspective, you see a bunch of weird rules. You don't know what's happening. And that can be off-putting. I don't know how much it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's more or less an entertainment venture. And I think we all acknowledge that. So, like, I, I well, think that's I, part of it. I think you're touching on something, but I'd even put, I'd even say exactly what you're saying, but go the other way with it, which is yeah. what you're saying is there's four, we'll call it the big four in yeah. leagues. Pioneer, the American, the Atlantic, and the Frontier. And I've said a lot of good things about the American. But if I were to fault them on something, like yeah. as funny as it is, like the little chirp about like being a premier, like indie league, like okay, what'd you gain, dude? Like you're not competing with the Atlantic League for fans. Like yeah. we're like we're in a different footprint completely. They, they're the two top talent leagues in indie ball, far and away, I would say. Yeah. Um. There's some, you know, there's some great frontier league teams, but just it's different. Um. Yeah. And that's just a product of roster rules, whatever. But then, so they don't share a footprint. The Atlantic League and the Frontier League, and yeah, I guess what the American, like the, the Frontier League is in, within footprints, but they're not the same competitive level. And then the Pioneer yeah. League is out there doing a totally different thing. Yeah. These leagues aren't competition. Like, what are we doing? And that's why I, I decided, you know, I want to expand Indie Ball Nation. I like what you got going with Indie Ball Report here. Like, yeah. I guess it, it's very much a rising tide floats all boats thing, you know? And I don't know why we have to chip away at each other when in reality, what would be a lot better is working together to have a cohesive message and a cohesive indie brand that shows players and fans. And I mean, even like for an office person, because I've talked to people who are like, I only want to work in MILB. I'm not going to indie ball. I'm like, dude, indie ball allows you so much more opportunity. Like what are you talking about? But mm. like to show exactly what indie ball is and that, you know, it's bringing that to the table. It's not, you know, Brock Meyer. It's yeah. um, really high quality baseball and a great opportunity. But instead, you know, they're chipping away at each other and making each other look bad on social media. I'm like, what? Why? What are you gaining? It, it's a misunderstanding of the market. And the I don't. The enemy is not Major League and Minor League Baseball. We're all in this together. The sport itself is in a, a very tight spot, and we all need to be on the same page. But the enemy, I mean, certainly, certainly is not each other. Indie ball needs to stick together and, and, you know, understand that despite being in a pretty good spot right now, Indie ball will always be vulnerable until yeah. it's more than 10 to 16 teams scattered across different pieces of the country. And it's instead of more like 50 plus teams who have a unified sort of goal and idea of who they are and what they're bringing to the table. Yeah. And it's, it feels like to me, you could almost run. In that same way, like with that, I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it. Almost like, almost like a soccer type setup where you have like this loose confederation. It's not necessarily a league, but it's like, okay, all these teams in this certain area all are, you know, they'll all compete 
And then at the end of the year, we'll have like, you know, a handful of teams that are above them all. And it'll be like a point thing. You're the best team among all of the independent leagues. Like, obviously, you still play amongst your league, but, you know, you almost earn uh, some sort of reward system throughout. And then at the end of the year, you have that top team where you're still kind of working with everybody. You now create an environment where it's beneficial for everyone to be promoted because now you're promoting everybody via this, you know, greater overarching goal. And it almost kind of goes back to, you know, I don't want to say pre-MLB, but more back when winning the AL or winning the NL meant a lot more to some people than winning the World Series. To win your league was a genuine accomplishment. You almost create that kind of setup. And obviously... I'm, I'm kind of touching on like, oh, yeah, the World Series, the other four. And obviously for logistic reasons, that's not very feasible. But if you just ma- even manage where it's like, okay, and I get again, like there's problems. Not everybody's having a uniform schedule. Not everybody starts on the same time. There's issues there. But I feel like there is a way where you can kind of work off of some sort of a, an aggregate system to establish a way that you have all like i think it's 35 42 somewhere in that general range let's just say 40 for the sake of argument that have all 40 teams kind of pulling in the same direction so that way it looks like they're unified better example actually than any soccer thing it's almost like ncaa where you have gonna say the same thing yep where they're conferences and then you have the league on top of it where you have like at the end of the year your ranking only you go with more of like uh, for college hockey, they use pairwise, where it's kind of it weighs your wins versus your losses against like the quality of it, and you get certain points if you win in regulation versus if you win in overtime. If you go with a parwise, or I guess BCS also kind of worked the same way, but you keep it as just a strictly uh, bias-free system as much as you possibly can, and you just use that as your guiding light. I feel like that could be a way of achieving what you're describing here. And it could still be a way where you can kind of like work in between. And obviously, and I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap it up on this, at least my point that is on this, which is I feel like even if you were just to have one or two exhibition series, maybe not during the season, but maybe before the season or right after the season, just between these leagues, I feel like that would do a lot of good. Like, ideally, we saw, like, the Can-Am League and the American Association back when Miles Wolf was running both of them. They have an all-star game between the two of them. And it'd be so cool to have, like, an East versus West type of all-star game with the Pioneer League and the American Association versus the Frontier League and the Atlantic League. I feel like that would be something that'd be really cool, really promotional, really good cross-branding-wise. You move it to each of the leagues through each year so maybe year one's in a pioneer league market year two's in an american association market so on and so forth you know like something like that would be cool there is a lot of cross promotional ideas and i guess my uh, i i just lied because now i gotta go back to like the first thing i said which is you know you want to keep it recognizable for everybody i think it kind of goes to this point though where it's you don't need a bunch of weird and crazy rules you don't need a bunch of you know different things to draw up too much attendance obviously you need to do things to stand out that's you know kills without saying but to radically change certain elements of the game i don't know if that's necessarily the best thing for teams that really don't have the luxury of having diehard fans because if we're being honest with ourselves there's not too many of them it's a very transient population that's going to games and of course you'll have locals that go to three or four or five a year 
And of course, you'll have those handful of diehards that are going to 20 plus a year. But those are fewer and far between than the ones that are just going for one-off games. And if you want to try and keep people in there, I feel like keeping with the more traditional aspect may be the better way than going and doing rule changes, which fans of baseball won't really appreciate. And the people that uh, aren't fans of baseball won't quite understand. Agreed. And, you know, part of, again, I said switching to the uh, Indie Ball Nation vibe from AOPB Roundup. You know, I think a lot of people saw this as a slight tour in the Atlantic League, but it, really this last season while covering the Atlantic League, you know, uh, I got to see more of what the Pioneer was doing, the American was doing, Frontier was doing, and it just felt, like, even from a coverage perspective, it felt dumb just focusing on the, uh, you know, the Atlantic League. And I was like, I want to I wanna go experience. I want to see what the Pioneer Parks are like. I want to see, you know, talk about the stories of some of these guys, because that's really what Indie Ball is about, these mm-hmm. players and some of their stories. and. You know, the interesting dynamics, like, of the front office and these, like, small town, like, back and forth, like, the Lancaster-York rivalry is such a cool, like, little dynamic in there. Um, it, it just felt, you know, strange to boil it down to one when it's really hard to separate these teams and they shouldn't be separated in, in these different leagues. Like, I'm even thinking, you know, I think your college football analogy is correct. You know, it's the expect, no one's expecting the Pioneer League and no one's expecting the Sun Belt to, you know, compete with the SEC, but when, you know, App State smacks some team in the mouth, you're like, all right, everyone can rally behind that. Yeah. And, you know, having that sort of possibility, even a little bit, like, it's cool. And, like, you know, to say the Pioneer League isn't as good as the Atlantic League is not a slight to the Pioneer League. It is a, it is who they are. And that's okay. Like, that's, the Pioneer League is a different thing. And it's a very cool thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like, I think it presents a unique challenge too. Like if they were to do it, uh, it doesn't need to be this, but like if they were to play each other, like, all right, like some of these Langley pitchers play great, but like throw them on top of a mountain and see if that ball stays in the yard. Like yeah. things like that. I think you're cool and fun. And it, with indie ball and like, uh, I think so often indie ball teams do, they're losing. They're so caught up in the day to day that they're losing. Like, Hey, like you're an indie ball man. No one's stopping you from doing this stuff. Like no one's stopping you from doing the cool things. Like, you know, the, the player, um, yeah, it's already very cool that like you can trade within leagues. Like that's all. Awesome. <laughs> what? That's so cool. Like, then why can't we expand what they're offering? Like the one thing I really want to do is I want to do league rankings, you know, mm-hmm. weekly league rankings, like any other, you know, college football type thing. But I also want to do like all or like within each league rank the teams. We also do uh, like top 25 indie ball teams. And the understanding is yeah. 22 of those spots is going to be the frontier or it's going to be the American and the Atlantic league teams. Like, let's yeah. be honest. And three of them will probably be the frontier league. But, you know, every once in a while, something surprising might slip in. I think it's pretty cool. And, you know, that's an exciting thing. I think it's something that's like fun to explore and talk about. So, yeah. I guess if there's one thing, I guess the main takeaway from this entire conversation is I wish the Atlantic league and all the other leagues would step back, take a breath, and realize the actual situation here, which is they're behind the eight ball, but only to an extent. And they don't need to get defensive and weird and passive-aggressive you know, within each other and against each other. Really, what they need to do is embrace their strengths, lean hard into them, look at the things that are weak points for them, and if they can't be improved, just straight up be like, okay, that's fine. We are not good at X, so we're not even going to really bother with it. We're just going to be all we can be and stop pretending that we're good at whatever it is. Um, and just enjoy like all that is to be indie ball because people can tell, like people can tell when an organization is proud to be indie ball, like 
that like bleeds through and it makes people excited about the product if you're excited about the product. And I think a big issue is that people could tell, you know, there's a lot of insecurity within the lead sometimes and with some of the organizations sometimes. And uh, I think the thirst to be like an affiliated or a partner league or whatever hasn't helped that image. Mm -hmm. Uh, When in reality, and I've said this before, I think just, you know, be independent, like explain, explore with people what that means and like show them how fun being independent is and how great it is and the opportunity that comes with it. And I think a lot of the problems we're seeing within, yeah, specifically the Atlantic league, but you know, the, every league too, the little things that are still holding the other leagues back, I think will start to fade quicker than people would expect. Yeah. It's like not every game has to be, you know, Savannah bananas level of crazy, but you can definitely do what St. Paul did for many, many years where it's just, they thought of creative things. They went out and did, different things i mean like the creativity element that exists when you don't have anyone that's breathing down your neck from up above saying you can't do that you're going to make the major league club look bad is uh it's unique to independent league baseball and i mean like that's the thing like with some of the teams that jumped like i mean we could all be honest with ourselves here if tri-city or uh or if king county gets the opportunity they absolutely are going to go back to affiliated. We yeah. all knew that Sugarland wanted to be affiliated. I mean, that's no secret there. The the places that, you know, are like, we're probably never going to, and that's fine, and we're going to do the most with it. You're right. That that kind of pride is certainly there. And I think the ranking thing, which is something that I always wanted to do, but I can never find the consistency to do it. And I always thought, like, you needed a handful of people to do it. It can't just be one person. Otherwise, it lacks, yeah. you know, something to it. You need to have, like say for me the number is always 20 if you get 20 voters that that would have some legitimacy because then around the leagues it would see it as okay it's not just one or two people just kind of giving their opinions it's a general consensus among people that are either involved in the media or involved with these teams around it and then it gives with that legitimacy an area to promote it going like hey we were ranked number one in this poll and I feel like the engagement too with, and obviously, I mean, there's some bias here, obviously, like both you and I would love to have more teams engaging. I mean, if teams promote ourselves, it's, it's normally a positive. I obviously am going to be biased on it, but I feel like engaging with the people that are promoting you is typically a positive, right? Like it, it costs you so little to just kind of send a message and go, Hey, if you guys need something, let me know. I'll, I'll get it for you. Don't worry about it. You know, like even if it's just basic stuff, things from like, we'll get you credentials. We'll give you access to a streaming service. We'll, if you need the press releases, we'll get that for you ahead of time. Like whatever it is, just little stuff like that. Just retweeting things, stuff like that. Just it's easy and it helps promote. And like I said, I, I do want to just go back to that ranking thing because I do love that idea so much. I kind of want to know where you would have had uh, had Missoula this past year because they were a good team, but again, it's like Pioneer League. Ooh, um, probably. Because like I, and the thing is too, like when you do it too, because there's only like 40 of them, I feel like ranking 20 of them, it's like, okay, well, we're ranking half these teams. If you knock it down to like 10 too, now it's like mm-hmm. really getting tight because it's like, okay, a quarter of the teams, yeah, but still like what who are the 10 best teams and you if you're just going off a result how much can you blame missoula for beating the teams that are on their schedule yeah that's a fact um 
I don't think Missoula's a top 10 team. I think they would have been a top maybe 15 to 20. Um, but I think to to the vision before we kind of move on on another thought that I had while you're going through because it, it sort of jogged my memory on it is yeah. I, I mean I was envisioning it and we'll talk about this as maybe like you know some people who run some independent baseball blogs slash sites slash podcasts you know I don't know yeah. I can't think of maybe off the top of my head but yeah. um plus like trying to get like year one like somebody who is engaged actively from each league office yeah and then over time, maybe the next year, expand it into like people from front offices as well. Because mm. that would probably get to about 10 to a dozen people. And then we can kind of grow it from there. And once it's legitimized, you know, with yeah. multiple people doing it, we can, it's a lot easier to get people from actual front offices doing it too. So either here or there, I was thinking, you know, top 10 rank choice type of thing with uh, yeah. also receiving votes type of vibe. But uh, I agree with that. Yeah. The other thing, kind of being, um, oh, I'm gonna lose it. I lost it completely. You, you said something during that where I was just like, oh, like that's sort of the vibe I was thinking of. But oh well, it's probably gone forever, which is kind of how my brain works. Life is a nightmare. But um, I, I guess no, I got it. Hey, I'm back. We're cool. Um, what, what gets me is you're talking about like the, the press and media thing. Yeah. Is you know, like again, I'm I'm crushingly aware of this. Elaine doesn't like me. I get it. I'm sorry. Like I want you to like me. I do. Like, but like, I have to report on what's happening, and what's happening is bad. So I'm like, I when good things happen, I'm like hype. Like I even said the other day, I think Frederick's a good get. I'm worried about them doing two teams. I think Frederick's a good, good piece of work from Elaine. Um, but I, <laughs> it would be a lot easier. I think this whole debacle on. Mm-hmm the announcement instead of it being me getting through leaks, which by the way, don't be mad at me. Be mad at the fact that I have somebody from every front office, very willing to speak to me about things. So you can have your moment and have that conversation with the Lord. But, um, I, that I'm getting information that way through unofficial channels and beating stories. When in reality, y'all know how to find me. Like you can reach out and just say, Hey, here's our situation. Hey, like we really thought we had to set up a Frederick done right now. We don't, um, unfortunately, like now we're going to have to be stuck in a hold up because there's a paperwork thing. That is something that is reportable. It's like, Hey, like there's a paperwork issue. You know how bureaucracy is, you know how red tape is like, they're still working out, but there will, I'm very excited to say, I think there's going to be an announcement on the new team soon. Maybe, you know, it, do like something like there's yeah. a smoother way to do it than us being like, what are we, than the fact that they still have not officially acknowledged that that announcement was pushed back and it was two days ago. Yeah, it's like we don't want speculation. I don't want to have to just speculate on things. It's it's not the best look for anybody because then if I'm speculating and I'm wrong, selfishly, I look bad. If mm-hmm. I speculate and I'm right, then the league looks bad. And if the league looks bad, people will have less interest in it. And if people have less interest in it, then they have less interest in what I'm doing. I would prefer the league be well-ran and be well-organized and be on time and everything. I'd like to work with them. I mean, like... I don't think, like, we've obviously been critical on the show here, which, by the way, I forgot to mention, Will had to jump off at noon, so he's been gone for, like, 20 minutes. I would much, much rather, and not be as critical as I have been, I'd much rather be positive, and I mean, like, all the interviews we've done, I can't say, like, they've been too hard-hitting, right? Like, there is definitely chances where could have nailed somebody to a wall, and I was like, yeah, for the good of everything here, maybe you don't. And I took that chance here. So, like, I'd much rather... 
be positive about the league when I can be. But if you don't give me anything positive, how can I be positive? You know, like, like you said, Frederick, at first I was like, I don't know about Frederick. But then when you start talking about it, I was like, you know what? That actually is some really good points about it. Hagerstown, I was big on. I thought, okay, brand new ballpark. It's nice. You know, same thing with Gastonia. They did terribly year one, but they've turned it around completely in year two, at least on the field. And I mean, we totally forgot to talk about their extensions and PJ going to uh, New Jersey. You mentioned it, but we never talked about it. So like, I guess we'll get to that eventually, but being positive is why I much rather prefer, but they don't make it easy. You got, and I'm not even asking for it to be easy, but you got to do something, right? You got to help me out here. And a lot of leagues do. A lot of leagues do. But with the Atlantic League, they just really don't. And it's like when they get annoyed at you, they take you off your press list and you just don't get any releases or anything. And it's like, okay, like we could do it that way. That's fine. I'm not going to put forth the effort to try and cover you. I have like 30 other teams I got to keep tabs on. I'm not going to waste time covering people that are going to be hostile. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and back to the whole rising tide raising all boats. Like, yeah. it's the same with us. Like, let's yeah. be honest about it. My life is better when the Atlantic League does well. Yeah. My coverage gets more traction and attention, which it's not really my big thing, which is you can tell because I go really down some rabbit holes where it's like, nobody asked for this content. I'm just doing it. Um, yeah, we definitely know, didn't do that about an hour ago either, did we? Oh, God. Yeah, what a, man, no one's going to be listening to this. But anyway, um, it, it just it really, yeah, uh, it, it's good. I, it's not like I want the Langley to, to not do well. All I want is for it to do well. It's just when you don't have any positive things to report, you know, I, I did get that feedback. It's like, oh, all your reports negative. I'm like, man, like, I was super hyped during the playoffs. That was a lot of positivity. That was great. Yeah. That was a very good playoff. I don't think, you know, yeah. it just, there hasn't been much else to go with. Yeah. It, that's just it. Like, when you look off the field, it's like once a year where you're like, okay, what's it going to be this year? Like you start off the year going, there's going to be one thing this year. Is it going to be the mound? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Is it going to be something questionable? Like what, what, what's it going to be this year? Because without fail, there's one. And it's like, we want stuff to promote, like even like 50, 50 things, like some of the rules, the partnership, like there's 50, 50 stuff where it's like, okay, well, I'll take the positive road on it. I'll point out like this could go this way, but you focus on positivity. But at a certain point, it's like with this, it's like, it's news. I have to talk about it. And there's no real good spin to it. Like I get, there's only so much I can say about how good Frederick could possibly be. So I'm so much I could say about, you know, the reworking of divisions and whatnot. There's only so much I could do to try and make it positive. And I shouldn't have to work overly hard on it. Right. And like what I don't get is, and obviously I don't know per each market here what the local coverage is like, but it feels like to me that like, you should be having at least one well-known local paper or news source that should be at every game, right? Like, that just seems easy promotional. Because, again, like, even if you're just looking at who's reading papers, it's mostly old people. What do old people typically have? It's, you know, grandkids. And what do they want to do? Take them to a baseball game right there. You constantly throw that in their face, like, oh, good, minor league baseball, perfect. You know, like, that. that is something that you could be doing. And even if not, it just gets word out. It makes it easier to cover. If other people are reporting on something, I could see it, have a baseline to work off of, and then go, okay, let me bounce off from here and go off of that. 
Uh, yeah, and when it comes down to it, you know, looking at Lexington as an example and talking about like what the relationship is with local media, like they like to think, you know, a lot of teams like to think they have a good local media relationship, but I, you know, I was getting hit up by a lot of local media from there when I broke a couple of their stories this year, yeah. uh, including the sale. And it was very obvious that they had no idea much really about the team. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, like, yeah, <laughs> there's it, it not, it's local news. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's only there, Lexington, like despite being a big sports town, they do have one professional sports team. Yeah. And it's very obvious that nobody had even been encouraging the media to think about them much beyond like the dumb, like couple stories that they want to run about like being a vaccination site or whatever the hell they had gone on. So yeah. it, it's just, you know, have a strategy and, and have a strategy and be like serious about the things you should be serious about. Um, be fun and playful about things you should be fun and playful about and be discerning enough to know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess we'll kind of spin it here with the last few minutes here because we do, I guess we should cover like a couple of things that were in the news that weren't, uh, you know, the Atlantic league totally falling on itself, which I guess PJ going to New Jersey is a positive, at least for PJ it is. I mean, that's an interesting setup there, having him working with, I guess, Bobby Jones and being in Hinchcliffe and having what is an exciting period of time in the, in the Jackals history. So that's something of note too. I think he's going to do well there. I mean, you know better than anyone else, you know, how that goes. Uh, yeah. I mean, just speaking to like, I, you know, I think it plays the PJ strengths well. If PJ can find a young baseball player out of just nowhere, which is kind of funny, which yeah. uh, I, I said before on here that I had a couple of times where I was like, hey, like, work with him. I was like, we got some bench spots that just straight up don't have anybody. He's like, I got people. Because he just would spend like a month preseason just on backfields in Florida. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you just find guys. And, like, that's going to play well on the frontier. Um, I have, you know, between him and Bobby, like, that's going to be a really good set up for roster building. I think it, it automatically gives some validity to what's going on uh, in New Jersey. I do, you know, I have lingering concerns about the ballpark. I, I'm always nervous when there's a, a big renovation happening with, you know, the delays with, um, you know, just how it will actually turn out versus how it's promised to be turned out. And with the area of Patterson, you know, in general being Patterson, uh, that worries me, but I think at least on field, they are doing all they can, which is good. That's what you want to say. Absolutely there. And I mean, it is certainly an upgrade. I don't, I don't want to say necessarily an upgrade from Brooks Carey, but uh, just judging off of, you know, on field performance, they kind of stagnated, you know, I mean, since they've been in the Frontier League, they just have not been particularly good. I think it kind of goes with this newer theme of, you know, we bring in new people, we're bringing in younger people, we have this new ballpark, we have this exciting period, I think it's going to help with the area, I think it's going to help with the market, I think it's going to help bring in a lot of young, exciting players too, I think that especially when you look at the Frontier League, I think more so than any other league, it is a very much a case-by-case basis each year, I think you have one or two teams on each side of the of the line where it's like, okay, they, they should be playoff contenders. Maybe not in, but they should be contenders. You know, like Washington's always there. Schaumburg's always there. Uh, Quebec's always there. These are teams that are pretty consistently uh, solid. And then there's leaves a lot of open spots there. There's one or two spots pretty much every year that you don't know who's going to get them. And I think New Jersey positions themselves in a way where it can definitely work out well. PJ finds good guys. And it's in a marketplace where... I think you can attract 
a lot of scouting eyes. Obviously, he knows people too, and that helps. But when you're going into the tri-state area, you know you can kind of scout two or three or four different ballparks and games either in the same day or in the same few days, right? Like you're so close to everything that it doesn't really matter. You're not just going out there to see one guy. You can just kind of say, oh, well, while I'm here, I could always swing over to here too. And I think that's a benefit as well too. And I think the the Frontier League will work well. I think it's really going to show off a lot of uh, a lot of talent there. I completely agree, my man. Yep. And then uh, as far as the other uh, other bit of news, we have in Gastonia, the handful of extensions. Goose is back. Brady's back. All the folk are back over there. Uh, obviously, looking just on the field, complete turnaround this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I don't even know what to say or where to begin. I mean, obviously... Um, I mean, talking to Brady, he seems to have a really, really good understanding of some things like, um, you know, modern base, modern bullpen usage, um, you know, deployment of resources. And by resources, I mean like players and putting them in a position to win. Yeah. Um, and I think that was something that was kind of missing Gaston in year one. Um, and, and I think that paired with like Goose's strengths really created a good dynamic there. And I think that, um, yeah, Gaston just, they got that right. Hopefully they can kind of get the, back, the business side right. But I do think, you know, on the field, they really were able to put the good product together, which is great. Um, I'm trying to think through. I mean, fat, uh, I suspected preseason, I'll say this, I suspected preseason that um, maybe not small ball, but that the way the Legends just homered to a championship last year was yeah. probably an illusion, I think. Um, it, it was obvious the pitching wasn't up to standard in 2021 uh, across baseball, and that they built a roster that was going to just, I mean, take advantage of that brutally. Um, but I just, I really had no, I had no idea of what was possible. And, you know, you see a team like Gaston lean so hard. I mean, just shattering the stolen base uh, record, uh, you know, moving guys around. The fielding was so good and so clean. If I'm honest, there was not much thought process when it came to roster building Lexington about fielding. Mm. Uh, it was more of a, you know, we're just going to slug and indie ball fielding is going to have its holes. And, you know, so there's going to be some runs coughed up, but it's not going to be any more than anybody else. But I mean, watching them throughout the year and then really when I got to see them in person, it was really evident. I'm like, wow, this is, you have to find a hole if you're going to get a hit on this team. Um, mm. So just not giving away hits and making the most of your hits by turning them into the singles and the doubles, getting guys in scoring position, really causing chaos, especially with the young pitcher on the mound. It, it, they just knew really how to understand, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of indie ball teams and lean hard into what they could do to expose weaknesses and lean into their strengths. And I think that's really what it is. I think, um, and I think that's, you know, not necessarily unique. I think watching what the Phillies just did, you know, the Phillies got a good run because they were a team that was, you know, built to really expose weak moments in other teams. And, mm. you know, when you're in the playoffs, there's only going to be a few at-bats where, you know, maybe not the best pitcher is in there and they're all going to be good pitchers. And the Phillies were a big inning team. That's where they will make a run. And I think in the same way Gastonia saw, you know, Indy Ball's got some, you know, hit or miss fielding. It's really tough to get a catcher with a good arm behind, uh, behind the plate that hasn't already been picked up by an affiliated team. Mm. Um you know, there's a revolving door a lot middle middle infield, so you're going to have you know not the smoothest play up there. 
So if you can really make your defense crisp and really put pressure on the bases and get guys who get on base, they're going to score runs. And they combine it with playing in Gastonia where they could chip out home runs over that weird fence they've got, and they just ran away, man. I mean, really, that I mean, the, the stolen base thing is what got me because they were just so quick on the bases. They just kept, they, what, they set the record for it, and they set it in, like, early August, mid-August, right? Yeah, something like that. It was it was not even close. It barely. It, I wish it was a bigger story. Uh, it, it hardly was because it was such like a foregone conclusion. Like yeah. two months in the season. But yeah, um, three hundred and five stolen bases. Uh, the previous record was like two sixty five. Jesus. Yeah, yeah man. God. Pretty wild. Yeah. Like. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. So. So good for Goose Gazo and good for Brady Salisbury. So good for good for them. They're back. And uh what was they were they both three years? I know Goose was three years, but was Brady three years too? Uh, I don't know that. Um because yeah, I, I know they had a press release, but I didn't read it. So Yeah, I gotta check it again. I was on the road at the time, so I'll have to yeah. do a, a second peek at that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that's it's interesting and I'm very interested to see how other teams respond really makes doing the projections difficult because yeah. you know you, you can't necessarily rely you know i didn't project for that kind of team coming out you know based on this, the team that we saw gastonia put out there in 2021 i projected them as honestly i wasn't too far off on our record which is funny i and i'll be the first to admit that was an accident yeah. but i projected them as one of the worst pitching teams and a team that was home runs over everything and they had the best era in the league and they had um what fifth most home runs in the league, despite having an offense that uh, scored more runs than everybody by about fifty runs. So, what do you you know? What do you do with that? So yeah. projections are going to be, especially team wide, will be difficult. But we'll see. We'll, it'll be interesting to see how other teams start to build their rosters to you know try to answer that if they try to lean more in that fielding and speed and fundamentals way, or we're just going to keep you know everyone's going to stay kind of in their lane and keep just trying to be the best at it. Yeah, definitely there. So I guess on that point, we should probably wrap it up fairly soon here. I mean, we're almost two hours in on it. So, uh, I guess what we'll, I guess we'll do is I guess we'll just kind of go to the plug here, throw anything else we got to throw in and then be done with it. So I'll let you throw, plug out all that. Cause you have the, uh, Indie Ball Nation, like you mentioned a couple times throughout. And I should have asked you about that kind of upfront because I noticed you made the switch and I even mentioned like, Oh, we're going to have to ask Ryan about this. And then we never did. So, uh, I guess, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and, uh, let you take that lead right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people might already follow me. If you follow ALPB Roundup or followed ALPB Roundup, but it's now Indie Ball Nation, as I said, for multiple reasons. I just wanted to, you know, switch it up and expand and sort of follow. I, I just felt things were going to get stagnant and I hate that. And, uh, AOPB Roundup was never, you know, a thing to make money or to, you know, do anything other than I want to do it. And uh, what I want to do is cover all indie ball now. So I'm doing that. And uh, I'm looking forward to that opening up some opportunities to work with you guys even more, which is funny because I know I work with you guys a lot anyway. But um, yeah, if you want to follow, it's uh, Indie Ball Nation on Instagram and on Twitter. All is just like one smushed together word, Indie Ball Nation. And on YouTube, great question. It's still at AOPB Roundup, I believe. But the channel is called Any Ball Nation. I'm switching that over. Uh, but Google is so annoying, but we're getting there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we're changing up the vibes. So things to look out for. We're going to do some fun stuff with, uh, I'm going to kind of do a twice weekly, like kind of YouTube show type of vibe, okay. uh, recapping the last few days. And uh, then I'm going to, you know, keep doing the normal stuff. I do it like 
just, I, I don't know, tweeting? Is that sort of a thing? Nobody knows. I was going to uh, say, what's you know, your I don't know, man. I, I, I am watching it carefully. I, I'll tell you that. I work in social media now full time. Yeah. And um, I work for like a pretty big company. And we're just I'm sitting there like, hey, guys, like, we should probably try to grab a handles <laughs> because uh, if this thing switches to another app and we're late on the game and we lose our own handle, we're going to be embarrassed and it's going to be a bad look. So yeah. I'll tell you, it's a tough time to be starting a social media gig full time for like a major company when Twitter when Twitter really is my like sweet spot, social media wise, yeah. and just completely having that tool taken out of the bag here, it's a it's a little bit difficult. But we're getting there. I so mean, I just don't see what the, to. I don't see what the problem is. Just post more on Facebook. Oh my gosh, yeah, man, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll say it. Like, if you want to talk about the reasons that Lexington's a disaster, it's things like part of the reason when I was let go, they cited was because I wasn't posting on Facebook enough, and that was costing us ticket sales, bro. It's 2022. Everyone knows where to find uh, tickets, especially if you follow on Facebook. You already know about the team. Posting on Facebook is not driving ticket sales for anybody, man. You yeah. gotta like wake up. The only time there's like only two posts that I could think of, like yeah, pushing ticket sales would be good. Like one, if you have like some sort of like holiday sale or some sort of ticket package plan thing, then yeah, I get that. Yeah, fine. That's just straight up try to promote sales to you. Get that. That's fine. That and like the game day tweet where you're like, okay, you can listen here, watch here, tickets here. Like if you're just trying to do that, it's like a last minute game day sale, fine. But like constantly posting about you could get tickets here, that's not going to do anything. Yeah, it's, and that's, you know, it's easy to say something about Lexington, but that, that yeah. is a, a wider spread thought. And again, it's just, know thyself and know the market you're in and understand your strengths and where your fans are at. And you see teams are struggling. They'll be all right. It's just, everyone has to yeah. lean into what you're good at, man. You'll be all right. It just all goes back to communication. If you have good communication skills and you put the right people in charge of them, it'll be fine. It'll work itself out. But uh, if you have the wrong people making the wrong calls and trying to enforce that across the board, it's going to be a bad time. It's lean into what you're good at. If you got there by making electric cars and a space program and tunnels, maybe don't get into running a giant social media platform. You know, that's an example. Just off the top of my head. I know. But I mean, like, at least if you're going to do something like that, you wouldn't buy it at like 50% above market value. That would just be stupid yeah. to do something like that. That would be ridiculous. But, you know, no one with a brain would do that. Guess as far as like our plugs go, everybody already knows it. And Indie Ball Pod, Twitter for now. Probably should jump on that Mastodon thing myself, to be quite honest. But yeah, man, because I see Rob jumped onto that too. And uh, during our Taylor Swift discussion, we should have had Rob here. He would have been very engaged in that. We should need to have an yeah. Indie Ball Taylor Swift roundtable with Rob. That that's something we need to have happen because honestly, that sounds like it'd be low key infotational. Which is kind of fun yeah. and informational. <laughs> you could tell I, I'm running out of steam after two hours. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, I you take zero. I mean, was that not kind of what we already did? That's my thing. But like, yeah. continue. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, long and short is uh, you can follow at Indie Ball Pod there. You can follow Indie Ball Report just about everywhere else. Instagram's the main one. Uh, we got a website, IndieBallReport.com. All the stuff's on there. We're in the process of updating all the uh, embedded players, too. 
So that way that'll be all good. But I have about 190 or so more that I have to uh, switch out. So that's going to be really fun. It's going to be really fun hmm. doing that. It's going to take like three hours to do. Uh, it's just going to be delete one player, drag new player, drop there, and just repetitively do that over and over again. But hey, you could do that too. Uh, Podbean, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, major platforms all there. Rate, review, subscribe, listen, do the, all you, that you do there. So there's that. I can't possibly think we have anything else left to add, but do we? Uh, I, hey, if anyone knows how to do a live YouTube show, let me know because I got to learn it myself and I feel like it's going to be a train wreck. So, you know, I kinda, anybody who. Yeah. Talk to me about that later. I kind of know how to do that. All right, let's go. Yeah, I kind of know how to. I don't know like all the specifics, but I kind of know how to do that. And I know like on Podbean, the hosting we do now, they do let you live stream stuff too, like live shows and stuff. Now, I don't Let's know go. if you get uh, video with it, but I know audio will definitely work. Amazing. See, yeah. the Indie Ball Squad sticks together. See, exactly. See, this is exactly what we're talking about. Rising tide lifts all boats. Help everybody. Beautiful. Yeah. And until we're, next time. Yeah. What? Well. Okay. Uh, what until- was that? <laughs> oh, this is the worst ending possible. No, leave it in. Don't you dare cut this. Don't you dare cut this. <laughs> I may go ahead and put this in after the uh, song at the end. You don't know. At, at first, I was thinking, like, take the Taylor Swift talk. We'll slam it in after the baseball talk. It'll be a nice segue through. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, God, I got to cut that. You know? <laughs> That's getting cut. The rest of it can stay. There you go. All right. Don't forget to play ball. We're out of here. <laughs>